He was a legendary film director that harbored a love for video games. And in 1999, he would be inspired to bring his love of movies and video games together after watching his son play the classically lauded video game adaption of 007 Goldeneye. His name was Steven Spielberg, and he had just released the critically acclaimed movie Saving Private Ryan. Still in the afterglow of the success of his World War II masterpiece, Spielberg decided to work on a project that would bring his love of World War II to video game consoles everywhere. He would bring the idea to his new gaming division of his movie studio DreamWorks and would be personally involved in the production of the first game in the Medal of Honor series. But would the Medal of Honor game live up to the hype of its inspiration, both of Goldeneye and Saving Private Ryan? And would it become a game that would be lauded as a classic for years to come? We discuss this and more as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Welcome to A Trip Down Memory Card Lane, our video game nostalgia podcast where each week we pick a classic game that came out during this week in gaming history, and we talk about whatever the hell we want around it. Really, that's the premise. Really simple. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host remotely from a thousand miles north from here, He'll tell you, thank God, considering the weather we're having down here. My brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how you doing today? Much better than you are with the hurricane a week, it seems to be. <laughs> I mean, I was reading a post today that said uh, someone needs to cancel their subscription to Hurricanes Monthly. And uh, <laughs> I think you should cancel yours. I know. Someone on the Nextdoor app posted that a few days ago. <laughs> the, the, the title just was... How can I cancel my subscription to the Hurricane of a Month of the Month Club? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it has been a crazy season. Where I live, we've been in the cone of uncertainties. This is time number seven. I don't think that we are going to miss it this time. We're about 24 hours out, and it looks like we're going to take this one right on the chin. We batten down the hatches. It's just a cat one. Minor hurricanes are, you know, we, we don't blink at them terribly much. But yeah. Stronger winds from Venus. Yeah, exactly. Bunker down and wait it out. I, I you know, it's it's not the storms that scare us. It's it's being out of power for <laughs> days at a time in 80 degree human weather. That's the part we all dread. Fun fact, once the storm comes ashore tomorrow, it'll break the record for most named storms to hit the state of Louisiana in one calendar year. It's a record-breaking year, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Is, is what it is, is what it is. We'll move past it and move on. Where I am, not as much of a risk. Very fortunate to be high and dry ground. And there are a lot of people that probably will not be so lucky. And, you know, we will come together as a community and help them like we always do. Keep your fingers crossed for New Orleans and the lower parishes. That's where... That's that's where we have some concern. So, Rob, today we're talking about Medal of Honor. We are talking about Medal of Honor, aren't we? That we are, Dave. That we are. <laughs> With everything going on, I lose track of the days. Medal of Honor came out on October 31st, spooky Halloween, 1999, 
first-person shooter for the PlayStation 1. I remember when this game came out. It was pretty exciting. Pretty damn exciting. You ever had a chance to play the first Medal of Honor? Yeah, I have actually played a couple of the original ones. I know that when I was growing up, I believe that I got started on Medal of Honor 2 or 3, though I don't know that those are what they're actually called. But I did take the time to dig out the old PlayStation and play the original after playing through the second and third. Nice, 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 nice. Well, for a while, I mean, this was this was the first person shooter. It was it was it was pretty special for the time. Didn't last very long, though. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. All right, what do you know about Medal of Honor? I know that it was a first person shooter based on World War Two. I believe if I remember something I read a long, long time ago that it had something to do with saving Private Ryan. Maybe there was a reference in one of the games, but I, I just vaguely recall that Medal of Honor had something to do with saving Private Ryan. That is very accurate. Very, very accurate. Medal of Honor was created by legendary filmmaker Steven Spielberg. You know Steven Spielberg, at least? No, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> What does he do nowadays, movie-wise? He's done... What's his recent stuff been? I, I can't think of it. Can you think of it? Any of his recent um, stuff? Yes. Some of his more recent works would be... What's he doing nowadays? The... Well, depends on how recently you're asking. According to filmography, the most recent thing he's done is a release of the 2018's Ready Player One. Oh, yeah, he did Ready Player One. Hey, speaking of Ready Player One, you know that there's a Ready Player Two book coming out next month? I did not know that there was a book by the name Ready Player One. I thought that was an original idea. I didn't do too much research into it, although it was a good movie. <laughs> yes, it was a book. It was, I don't even know what else to say. It was a book, and there is a sequel coming out in November of this year called Ready Player Two. Steven Spielberg, known back in the day for Jaws. Jaws was his breakout. The Indiana Jones series, Hook, Jurassic Park series, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. He has done a ton of, of excellent, excellent movies, but he's also an avid video game player. The idea for Medal of Honor came from... His love of video games while well, he was playing GoldenEye. Do you know Do you know GoldenEye for the N64? I have no idea what you're talking about, Dave. Oh, I've man. never heard of never GoldenEye. Never played. I know. That's just a nothing game. That's Are I don't even know. to say that you've never played it? <laughs> lies. Lies. I was lies, going... Lies. I have definitely spent a quite a few days playing that game. I know growing up that I had a couple of friends who had it, myself not having it. I would spend a lot of time over there and we would constantly play. Granted, I would always be the worst of the group, but still tell me, it. was it always was it always proximity mines in the ductwork? No, nope, mostly just guns. Golden gun. Always the golden gun. Did you play the golden gun mode a lot? Not a lot, but enough that I told them to stop playing that or I wouldn't play with them. <laughs> I, I was pretty bad at the time. I That was right. prior to me playing a lot of first person shooters or I, I believe, would that be considered third? No, it's first person. Okay. I just couldn't remember, honestly. I had a brain fart there. But yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't played a whole Happens. lot of first person shooters at the time around when I first started playing that. So I was absolutely terrible. 
It's all right. I'm a movie buff who just had to ask what else Steven Spielberg has done as a director. So we're allowed to have brain farts in, in this episode. Very true. <laughs> Idea, Goldeneye with his son, Max. You know, and your, Spielberg always had a fascination with World War II. And yes, he had just done Saving Private Ryan. And he took the idea of bringing the two together, uh, a video game and World War II a la Saving Private Ryan to DreamWorks Interactive, and a game was born. In fact, little side note, the military advisor that he worked with in Saving Private Ryan was also his military advisor for Medal of Honor. Honor. That's what we're talking about. Yes, that's what we're talking about today. DreamWorks was the film studio that Steven Spielberg founded in 94, which produced Saving Private Ryan. A year later in 95, DreamWorks and Microsoft announced a joint venture to produce video games, and this was called DreamWorks Interactive. DreamWorks Interactive was responsible for games such as uh, Jurassic Park The Lost World, a little game called Steven Spielberg Director's Chair, a small soldiers video game, and a game called Trespasser, which in some ways was, was an innovative concept in which you had to like, it was a physics-based game where you were a dinosaur and you had to control all the limbs separately. And it was such awfully implemented that it frequently finds itself on a list of worst games of all time. Some people will tell you it's innovative. Most people will tell you it's god-awful. It was god-awful, by the way. Was that like an early version of that Toast game? No, it kind of was an early version of all those. uh, What's the other one? Surgeon, the surgeon game that you you control your hands as a surgeon. What's that called? You know what I'm talking about? It's probably Surgeon Simulator. And then the Toast game. And now we have ones like Kill It. Have you seen Kill It With Fire yet? Uh, That one I have not. Kill It With Fire is a game where there's like uh, spiders all over the place and you literally like just it's the same concept. You use whatever to try to kill spiders up until Medal of Honor. The most successful game that 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 studio DreamWorks Interactive did was a PC version of Goosebumps. They did more than one. I can't remember which Goosebumps it was, but it only sold 130,000 copies. And so DreamWorks, the parent company, the movie studio that was funding this was you know, really doubting its involvement in video games. Medal of Honor itself was a giant success, but it wasn't never enough to save the studio. DreamWorks Interactive would be sold by EA, which published the Medal of Honor game. And then EA renamed the studio to EA Los Angeles, which would then become the studio that would continue working on the Medal of Honor franchise for EA. I think EA Los Angeles would become Danger Close. Danger Close, which was the studio that did the reboot of Medal of Honor. And I think it was like 2010 they rebooted the series, or it might have been 2013, somewhere in that time. And I think Danger Close is the the, the uh, uh, studio that is still working on the Medal of Honor series, if there is one to this day. I think that's everything. That was really testing my development studio knowledge. I had to pull that from the depths. Yikes. That's, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I know, I know, I know, I know. Do you remember the plot of Medal of Honor at all? I had to I had to look it up. I, I vaguely remember bits and pieces of this game, but I honestly had to look it up. I don't remember a whole lot of it, although I do remember that it did take place during the end of World War II and that you were a member of the Office of Strategic Services or the OSS. I don't remember a whole lot more beyond that, like what you had to do in the game, but I know that you were trying to stop Nazi Germany. That is correct. And that's a theme that carried on through the entire 
Medal of Honor series. Being a member of the OSS has kind of been a thing for for a lot of them, truth be told. Things that you did in the first Medal of Honor would include rescuing an American pilot, going undercover to destroy a U-boat, and just sabotaging anything Nazi-related, like you said. Like, I think you sabotage a V-2 rocket. I think you demolish a mustard gas factory. Yeah, I, I can't remember anything else. Those were Those are the ones that are coming to mind. I want to talk for a moment because I love when games are based in reality. We talk about that a lot. I want to go back to a moment and talk about the Office of Strategic Services. Have you ever heard of the OSS outside of this context? I have, actually. It's an obscure piece of information that I, some for some reason, seem to have. Okay. What do you know about the OSS? I know that it was formed to coordinate espionage activities or it was created to spy behind enemy lines for all branches of the armed forces that's very true that's very very true prior to there being an oss every branch of the armed services would conduct their own espionage operations the army and the navy for instance had two separate codes and code breaking divisions and it's pretty hard for you to coordinate all these different armed branches if they're all speaking a different language, basically, is the way to look at it. The OSS was formed to bring them all together. They were involved in propaganda. They were involved in subversion. They were involved in creating plans for what would happen with everything after the war was over. It was one big, happy family of spies. So I had to look up why the OSS was familiar to me and why it rang a bell. And it turns out that it was from Spy Kids, the organization of super spies. (laughs) So I've I've never seen Spy Kids, but that's pretty cool. Yes, it it was. I had to look it up. It was obviously a reference to the Office of Strategic Services. However, I was introduced to the acronym through that movie series, and it just stuck with me all this time. So nice, nice, nice. Spy Kids. Yeah. Spy Kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go Spy Kids. Doesn't that have a machete guy in it that somewhere in that series? Uh, I'm sorry. What did you just call him? The guy from the machete. Machete. What's his name? Come on, Dave. You got to know this. Again, movie buff brain fart. Uh, God, dog it. I can see his face. I can see his face in so many different movies. I don't know. You you can you can hit me with it. I'm going to have to look it up if you don't. So Danny Trejo. Thank you. Danny Trejo. Exactly. Machete. He is in the Spy Kids series, is he not? That is correct. Okay, good. All right. I'm not crazy. I've never seen it. I only know As him. Cheech Marin, by the way. Seriously? Yes, he was their uncle in the first movie. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Dave? Dave's not here, man. <laughs> yeah, boy. So the OSS was kind of the precursor to the CIA. Uh, at the time, there was no C- CIA. So this was espionage before there was a, an espionage organization. Among the things that the OSS did included training resistance operatives, uh, operatives, operatives hmm. behind enemy lines. They would infiltrate Nazi organizations to collect information, such as the location of like V2 rocket building sites, so their bombers could you know, properly bomb factories. And they got their hands on a Soviet code book to help break the Soviet uh, code breaking secret code. You know, the OSS was, again, all this subversion and espionage stuff. The cool part 
about the OSS were their gadgets, right? Right? Rob, right. When, when we talked about Battlefield, did you never played the Secret Weapons or World War II. We, we talked about that, did we not? We did, and I had not played it. Oh, so you didn't get to see some of the gadgets. So the OSS is where all these fun gadgets came from. And, and it's like they were your James Bond type people. They used the silent pistols. They used the lightweight submachine guns. They had exclusive explosives that were designed as lumps of coal or bags of Chinese flour that were nicknamed Aunt Jemima. They had compasses that were hidden in uniform buttons. They had maps and playing cards that, you know, the, the playing cards would peel apart and in the middle would be a map. They had cameras that were in the shape of matchboxes, and they had cigarettes that were laced with hemp to induce uncontrollable chattiness. You know, they would they would give a cigarette to the guy they were trying to get information out of, and and he would he would just he he would go off. So these this is kind of where your James Bond stuff came from. Fun fact: the guy who helped form the OSS was actually British. I can't remember his name for the life of me right now. But he was that he was a British gentleman who was like given the honorary title and helped form the OSS, like helped train up everyone. And he was a member of MI6, which is the British espionage organization. The James Bond organization was actually involved in the in the formation of the OSS. After World War II, however, the OSS was dissolved. It would become there was one more before the CIA. It would become something after World War II in 46 for a year. And then in 47, the national, there was a national act declared, National Defense Act or something like that declared that, again, I can't remember. And that part of that National Defense Act would, uh, would form the CIA in 1947. <clears throat> little, little bit of history for you there. Little, little, little bit of history. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. I hope y'all liked your history lesson. You know what I mean? Woo, history. Woo, history. The OSS. Woo, fighting Nazis. We're still doing that to that day, to this day, sad to say. That we are. <laughs> oh, man. Where's the OSS when we need it? It's some 70 years later, and we're still fighting Nazis. <laughs> oh, my God. What has the world come to? What has the world come to? Chaos, Dave. The world has come to chaos. Agreed. And chaos will consume us all. So the thing with a game like Medal of Honor is it's a snapshot in time, right? Because it's an OG first-person shooter. It's really fun to go back, and we talk about this time and time again, but it's really fun to go back and look at reviews for the game when the game came out. Because that gives you a more accurate picture of how people felt about the game. Nowadays, it's really hard to compare a game that came out in 1999 to a game that came out in 2020. Some 20. Wow, that is 21 years, isn't it? Uh, that it is, Dave. This game is old enough to drink now in, this, in Michigan Holy or in America. Shit. 21 years. So 21 years later, it's really hard to compare a game like this because... Some of the things that made it special at the time don't hold up very well modern, you know, in terms of modern stuff. Like like at the time, the graphics were amazing. And nowadays it it looks, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. One of the fun things is look up nostalgic reviews. Rob, did you you pull up some nostalgic reviews up? That I did, Dave. And the first one was a guide 
from game FAQs from user DragonX. DragonX says, what can I say? This game rules. The graphics are superb and some of the best light sourcing I've ever seen in a first person shooter. The enemies look authentic down to the Nazi uniforms and the flags in the game. The control is top notch, as was the aiming, with the exception of the analog controller. The level started off easy and progressively got harder as the missions got higher. The AI is one of the neatest and smartest I've ever seen. The way the enemies react to how you shoot, how you throw a grenade, insane. Some protect their buddies by jumping on a grenade, and also how they avoid gunfire when you shoot at them. The artwork in this game receives my round of applause and pat on the back for being so accurate in detail. The entire game was a total blast to play or pay. <laughs> you know, yes. I, I mean, I remember when this game came out, everything. It was one of those like, m- like mind-blowing games that you were excited for because we didn't have AI. We didn't have games where nowadays you throw a grenade and just about every AI in the face of the earth is going to throw it back to you. We can even throw it back. You can freaking play potato with grenades nowadays. But back then, it wasn't the case. There, there weren't there weren't games that you could do that. And so, I, I mean, the first time I ever got a grenade threw back at me, I'm not going to lie. I got blown up. I, I didn't know what was happening. It was it was it, 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 I mean, truthfully, it was something else. It was absolutely something else. It, it's really funny, though, to hear them say the graphics are superb and some of the best light sourcing when now we have like ray tracing. You know what I mean? And and like the light sourcing and ray tracing is next level, <laughs> you know, whereas in this game, they're probably excited that there was a, a light hanging above uh, uh, you know, above a path, and it had it could light up the ground underneath it. That was probably what was exciting about this game. <laughs> and shadows, and shadows, yes, and shadows. I mean, these are things that we take for granted nowadays. We didn't have them back in 1999. God, I can't believe 1999. It makes me want to keep being like, "Oh, we're gonna party like it's 1999," and then I feel really old and sad. So I'm not gonna do that anymore. Rob, you got more reviews for me? <laughs> That I do, Dave. On a lighter note, another review from Game FAQs by user 49er says the graphics and camera are perfect. The best thing is the animations for when the Nazis die. Shoot them in the leg, they hop around. Shoot them in the arm, they grasp it tightly. Shoot them in the groin. Well, you know. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) They would uh, grab their junk and fall to the ground, as we all would if we were shot in the groin. That we would. If you hit them in the head they'll flop down dead. Sometimes, when you think they're finally dead, while they are fighting death, they fire a few more rounds at you before you put them away for good. This game is not about buckets of blood and gore with weird scary monsters. This is real-life war. And it's scary. And fun. Don't miss out on this game. You will be sorry. Trust me. I'm telling you, that was the thing. It was a novelty at the time to shoot them like shoot their arm and have them grab their arm or shoot their leg. And then they would be hopping around on their leg or, or running towards you with a limp. Maybe not running towards you with a limp. I might be over exaggerating how good this game was, but the fact that the animations were such that the games were reacting to how you were shot was again, this was, this was special at the time. What else you got for me? This review that I have was again from game FAQs and it was by user LeChat. So LeChat mentions that the AI of the guards is generally high from the word go, with them hiding around corners and behind walls, popping up around ever so often to lose a couple of rounds into you. Levels are well designed with a clear theme to each of the seven stages, each with three or four levels. 
The main criticism with the levels is that they are a bit too well designed. Gameplay can occasionally seem a bit linear. It's what? quite difficult, I found, to actually get lost. Objectives are arranged in a line along the level, especially in the first few, but still in the last lot as well. Games are designed, the levels are designed a bit too well because they're linear. That, that didn't make much sense to me either. I don't know. I, I don't know. So, But I will agree that the AI was pretty advanced for the day. So the artificial intelligence, right? Every All those reviews talked about the animation and kind of the AI at the you know at the ai talked about how the enemies would react to getting shot talked about how the enemies would react to getting a grenade throw at them i want to talk very briefly about stuff like that do you think that we take stuff like that for granted nowadays absolutely we're so used to it being around that we just don't even think about it anymore i mean there are a few games here and there i'm sure where people are amazed at the level of intelligence that some of these games are showing but then you play games like Forza, for instance, and the AI just smacks into you at full force, <laughs> much like most of the players online. <laughs> or the bots in Rocket League, if you play with bots. I haven't in a, quite a while, so I wouldn't know that to that end. <laughs> hey, the Rocket League servers were down last week. I had to get my fix in, okay? Gosh. Whatever you say, Dave. Whatever you say, Dave. Hey, but I did unlock the achievement for playing against every team in the course of a season. That was a new one for me. Congratulations. I also got one yesterday where I demolished three opposing bots in Waste. Why was I playing against bots in Wasteland yesterday? Oh, I was playing Spike Rush. That's why. And people kept dropping out of the game. So anyway, on to new AI taking things for granted. I think about things like that when I pick games and when we sit here and, and come up with topics and when we talk and I'm still amazed every day by where we've come that somewhere in the past we have we were just doing boxes bouncing back and forth on a screen and those boxes became pixels and those pixels became actual things and then we moved to 3D and 3D became people. And now now, now we have photorealism photo and virtual reality. Photorealism and virtual reality. I mean, good God, man. We're in a gaming revolution right now. Speaking, of, speaking of old and new, did you happen to see that they have a new Atari console coming out? I had not, no. Yeah. There is an Atari VCS console. They're taking pre-orders right now that plays nostalgic... It, it, it emulates old Atari games, but it also has a PC mode, which I'm assuming the PC mode is designed to be able to use the streaming services to play modern games, like as a Steam Link or something, you know, something along those lines, or I don't know, maybe even Xbox Game Pass. I mean, if you're just in a PC mode and you just go to it as a, you know, in an OS, theoretically, you could use that too, I'm assuming. It's kind of cool. It's slick. It's like $400. Hmm, that's not terrible. No. Nope. As long as the graphics have gotten better since day one, Atari. <laughs> well, I mean, it still has all the classic games. So Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor was super cool, not just for the AI, but it was it was very unique for the narrative. You know, prior to this, we, we didn't have first person shooters that had a lot of narrative. You know, if you think about the early games that pioneered the first person shooter genre, like doom or wolfenstein or quake uh system shock 
none of the early games had narrative. That's not to say they didn't have a story. It just isn't what drove the game. Do you remember those early first person shooters at all, at all? Any of them, Rob? Did you play any of them? Or did you kind of miss that that early genre of first person shooters? I have heard of those games, although I never played them myself. You've played the modern versions of all of them, have you not? I have played modern Doom. Yep. Although I have not played any of the others. No Wolfenstein? You've n- you've not played the modern Wolfensteins? I have not. Oh man, they're so good. And then System Shock became Bioshock. It's the early precursor of the Bioshock series. So. Oh, well, then I've definitely played the modern version of System Shock. Yeah, yeah. System Shock 2. System Shock 2 was definitely more narrative driven and is worth a play if you ever get a chance. And then that that became the inspiration for Bioshock. And then, you know, we go from there. So Quake is Quake. Quake was like the original eSport, like first person shooter eSport. Quake is... Quake will always hold a special place in first person shooter history because it was the early it was the it was the OG of esports. It really was. Interesting. First person shooters that had narrative structures really didn't become a thing until this time. You know, we had Half-Life come out a year earlier in 1998. That was definitely, at least in my opinion, the game that defined narrative first person shooters. I, I still remember the when the first person first Half Life came out. I hope we get to talk about that someday. It blew my freaking mind loading that up. You know, in '98 we also had Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. '97 we had Goldeneye. You know, a year earlier we had Goldeneye. 2001 we had Halo. I think is when that started. Bioshock came in 2003. Fear came in 2001. Deus Ex I think was 2001 2002. So really, just after the turn of the century, we started to get all these other narrative first-person shooters, and now that's kind of a, a staple. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's a thing. I don't think there are many first-person shooters... Well, about to say, I don't think there are many first-person shooters that don't have a story, but then we have the Fortnites and PUBGs and, and Apex Legends of the world now, don't we? That we do. Yeah, yeah. So now we're in Battle Royale. Battle Battle Royale is basically your first-person shooter without a story. We make the story, don't we, guys? Medal of Honor, as we were talking about, was also realistic. The way the enemies reacted to the way they were shot and everything was realistic. It is historically accurate in a lot of ways. Even the cutscenes that, you know, kind of introduced the levels, they were they utilized World War II black and white, if I remember correctly, it's black and white footage to bring it all together. In fact, one of the game FAQ reviews, too, by Psycho Penguin, called this a lifelike simulation of World War II and one of the best first-person shooters to date. It was also cinematic, right? Because, uh, duh, it was helped created by a film director. I mean, if you're going to have Steven Spielberg, why wouldn't you have cinematic qualities? And Half-Life kind of had it. But Medal of Honor was, I think, I think Medal of Honor was different kind of cinema because Half-Life was its own universe. But Saving Private Ryan, that's not Saving Private Ryan. Medal of Honor was, which call it. Rob, when you were looking at all those reviews on game FAQs, I know I pulled a few, but, you know, you, you had pulled a bunch. Speaking of Saving Private Ryan, did you see that referenced a lot in the, in that list there? I did see it once or twice, and that's probably why I had remembered that there was some correlation between the two, although I didn't read them too much because I didn't put much thought into it. 
No. No, I'm. It's a great movie, uh, and yes, I have seen that. But it just at the time I was more focused on the aspects of the game and not the movie, and you know, I didn't really put two and two together how the two were related. I just knew that there was some correlation between the two. But knowing that the game was inspired and produced with the help of Steven Spielberg, it makes all the sense. Absolutely. Well, if you look up reviews for the game, you know there were some a bunch of others that Saving Private Ryan was referenced. Uh, Casket Darkfire titled a review, Saving Private Ryan, and he noted that only a video game version of it brags about how the game realistically recreates the sights and sounds of World War II. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, he writes, this game is the closest movie-to-game shooter that you'll find. On the other hand, Shady wasn't convinced, and his review titled, No, It's Not Anything Like Saving Private Ryan, he goes on to write that he doesn't understand why people ridiculously claim that Medal of Honor is a video game version of Saving Private Ryan, because the two are quite different to him. Their only similarity is that they both take place during World War II. That's it. Otherwise, they're very different from one another. So not everyone was convinced, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone has their opinions. Some people feel it did correlate, some people feel it didn't. When we started this episode out, I referenced GoldenEye, and you kind of got excited. I mean, we made a joke about GoldenEye, right? GoldenEye is special. Is that fair? GoldenEye holds a special place in everyone's heart? I wouldn't say everyone, but I will definitely say that for those who have played the game, I would think that it does. As you were growing up, I feel that anyone who started playing it today would think it's a pile of turd. But for those of us who were around during the early days of gaming, when that game was revolutionary for its time, it absolutely holds a special place in our hearts. Man, I'd like to test that theory because I don't know if it's going to be a giant pile of turd. I think it'd still be a lot of fun. How many... Uh, you know, I don't know, because we have a lot of first-person shooters. I don't know if they have the same charm that they used to, though. GoldenEye came out in 1997. Medal of Honor came out in 1999, about the same period. Medal of Honor, as we talked about in the reviews, people had nothing but good things to say about it. It, it got great critic reviews. It got great reader reviews, right? We're talking about people that said it was superb, it was revolutionary, one of the best first-person shooters, yada, 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 yada. Correct? Correct. Do you hear anyone talk about it anymore? Is this game ever considered one of the classics when we talk about video games? Ever? Not that I can think of. No. It's true. I dug, ladies and gentlemen. I looked and I looked on list after list after list of the best video games of all time. And I could not find Medal of Honor on any of them. Now, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I dug to like top 500 or anything, but it, no, this game, this game has fallen out of the, the you know, the, the, the video game. It's not part of the discussion anymore. And so, Rob, what I wanted to talk about is why, why do you, why do you think that is for a game that was so revolutionary for its time? How, how did it fall out of favor? What, 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 what's the problem? What do you think the problem is? I mean, as consoles developed and got better, a lot more developers were also showing up on the scene to create different visions of these games. And Medal of Honor kind of, from what I know in the first few games, stuck to the same linear structure, the same World War II. And you can add on some things here and there, but the game fundamentally was the same. With a lot of the newer first-person shooters, they added different elements. Take into consideration Halo. 
It was entirely new, offered a vast multiplayer, an entirely new storyline, and drew people in a lot more, not only because of the advanced graphics, albeit a more unrealistic style due to being based on space and aliens, but that charm, the art style was also part of its charm because it was different. It was something unique and new that drew people in and took away from the familiarity that they were continuing to get with each Medal of Honor. And even as the new ones were coming out, more and more so, the original fell back in, away from the limelight. Very, very true. I think that for a game to be considered a classic, it has to do... I mean, it can do many things, but I think that there are two, two basic things that a lot of them boil down to, right? One, if it's a single-player story, it's got to be memorable, right? It's got to be a story that touches us in some way. Like, we talked about Final Fantasy VII and how that story resonated with people all over the place. Was that our first episode? Man, that seems like so long ago, doesn't it? Mm, about nine weeks. <laughs> so, one, I think a game has to resonate with people. And honestly, while the story was cool... It wasn't really a touching story. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was a good war story, right? It may have been like Saving Private Ryan and the fact that it was World War II, but it wasn't like Saving Private Ryan in that it got you attached to the characters, made you feel for them, and made you feel what they were going through. I, you know, I guess is kind of the point. The second thing is, is that for a game to be classic in the lexicon. It has to be attached to some sort of nostalgia, which you know we go back to all the time. Nostalgia for a lot of people is the time that we spent playing them. We talk about Goldeneye, for instance. Goldeneye, we had a ton of fun playing with our friends. I couldn't tell you much about the single player of Goldeneye. I know it existed. I played it. I actually played it and got a lot of the medals on it. I remember that there was like a, a hard mode, but I, that's not why I look back finally on Goldeneye. I look back finally on Goldeneye because I played probably hundreds of hours of it with my best friend blowing each other up and, and murdering one another. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And although I did recently watch a speed run of the campaign, I can't recall myself having played the campaign, only ever doing the multiplayer, doing similar shenanigans. The only thing I remember about the campaign of Goldeneye is like the end of the movie where you're, you're on that giant, uh, is it a dish? A, a, like a satellite dish of some kind. That's where the movie ends and the game ends. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think Goldeneye is very much a lot of the reason why this game is not considered one of the classics. Goldeneye came out two years earlier. And when this came out, everyone was looking for a Goldeneye on the PlayStation. They, they were looking for that same experience where they could sit down and have a ton of fun with their friends. And if you go back and you look at all the reviews from that time period, it was severely lacking in that department. For example, here's a review from Funk Punk who said, want Goldeneye on the PlayStation? You got it. Sort of. You know, he says that for people that have never played Goldeneye, or for people that have played Goldeneye on 64, this is kind of like it, but with war. I'm looking back at LaChat's review. And that review was titled Goldeneye on the PlayStation? Nearly. He goes on the right. Is it as good as Goldeneye? Well, no. While the one-player game is as good, if not better, the two-player two player game leaves a little bit of desired. 
Goldeneye has four player death matches that make the most hardened players weep, but Medal of Honor moseys around with a mere two player match with relatively few maps and slow gameplay. We know the PlayStation is capable of four player death, message, death matches, such as in the excellent Quake 2, but we don't get it here. Sigma on Game FAQ writes, not quite Goldeneye. You know, he heaps praise on the game itself, but he just notes in the cons, multiplayer sucks. So if you go through these reviews, you'll see time and time again, they'll brag about the AI and they'll brag about the graphics, and they'll grab about, brag about this and that, but always in the cons, multiplayer sucks. And I just think that it did a lot of things that were revolutionary at the time, but the story was not one of them, so it doesn't stick out in our mind for that, kind of like Final Fantasy does, which came out in 97, same time period, right? And it doesn't have good multiplayer, so there was no reason for us to sit there and play it for hours. We played the single-player campaign, we moved on to multiplayer, and that was it. The game was gone. We were done with it. We were moving on to something else, you know? Right. I mean, you know, Half-Life came out a year before. It just... I don't know. It just didn't. There wasn't anything. And then if, if we're going to talk about m- multiplayer, you kind of talked about the Medal of Honor series carrying on, right? Yep, that I did. <laughs> well, three years later, four years later, we had the first Call of Duty. I think that was 2003. And those series kind of coexisted until we had Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which absolutely, again the multiplayer mode in that revolutionized first-person shooter multiplayer. There wasn't anyone on the face of the earth who didn't want to play Modern Warfare and its subsequent sequels because it was such a, a novel concept at the time. So, you know, Medal of Honor may have helped birth this cinematic first-person shooter genre in a lot of ways, along with Half-Life, but it, it didn't have the staying power, and it was swallowed up by better games pretty quickly. Is, is kind of my take on it. Anything you'd like to add? No, I think you did a great Damn. job of explaining. I am great just... job of explanation. I'm just talking and talking and talking today. I am talking and talking. Well, here, I got something for you. Something that we've talked about time and time again. When Spielberg was coming up with the idea for this game, he said he wanted to create a game that was concurrently educational and entertaining. Sound familiar? That it does. So we talked about it with Battlefield. We talked about it with Roller Coaster Tycoon. I, I'm sure there were other games we've talked about it. So from what you remember, do you think that this game is educational? Mm, I have to think really, really hard, digging way back in my memory banks to remember. I will say that we did touch on the OSS, and that's it's definitely not something that you hear about very often. That is one aspect that it absolutely is educational. It gives you insight into a real historical organization within America that, quite frankly, most people probably don't even know exists or rather existed. I do know, remember storming the beaches of Normandy in the game, and most who know history of World War II remember D-Day and storming the beaches of Normandy. So you kind of get a firsthand look into what it was like coming onto the beaches and coming up the hillside to the bunkers where the Nazis were running and gunning with their machine guns. But beyond that, I can't think of too much. But again, my knowledge of the game is limited to quite a long time ago. I'm sure someone who has played 
more recently or even played more of the series of itself would be able to attest to it much more than I can. Yeah, I I I don't know if I knew what the OSS was at the time. I don't know if I was old enough to care about what the OSSS was at the time. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. I think looking back on it that certainly there were things to be learned from this, but I I don't think that I took things away from it. I do think it's fun to talk about though. I, again, you know, we do it every week, but it really fascinates me to look at these. One of the challenges of being a historian, and you know, we don't talk about it, but for those of you that don't know, is I have a history degree. I'm a historian in some ways. One of the challenges of being a historian is it's sometimes hard to be an observer of history without bringing your cur- the, you know the biases of of where you are now into your observations about history. We look at this game from now and we go, ugh, that AI, we do that. Oh, those graphics, we do that, you know? But it's really fun to go back and look at all the reviews from 1999, 2000 for people that don't have that context and get to hear them say, oh man, this game was superb. Oh man, the, the lighting was shadows. I mean, come on, shadows. Every game engine on the face of the earth has shadows nowadays. But it, again, every time we do this, it always blows my mind to think that there's a, how far we've come and all of the different, what's the word I'm looking for? All of the different roadblocks and, and, and revolutionary turns and, and just all these revelations, all these times, all these moments that we've got to gone to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's super cool to be able to do this weekend. Well, in case you had noticed, listener, I'm very thankful to get to do this week in, week out, and that you're listening to us do this week in, week out, because I really like going back and looking at these little snapshots of history for what they are as snapshots of history. Well, that's Medal of Honor. Unless you have something else you want to add, I, I'm, I'm done. I, I've been talking about it way too much. No. I, the only thing I could think of is another brief history that the Medal of Honor, for its namesake, is a well-known medal within the military. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. It's not just any medal in the military. It's the highest distinguished distinguished honor that a U.S. military soldier can be awarded. Is it not? That is correct. It is the highest and most prestigious decoration that can be awarded to U.S. military service members. It's awarded to them through acts of valor. I do know that it is normally awarded by the President of the United States in the name of U.S. Congress. And I believe that it was really constantly un... I believe that it was mistakenly called the Congressional Medal of Honor for that reason. But the name of the medal is just the Medal of Honor. Very true. I, I didn't think about it from that perspective. That is a very, very good point. Very good point. I don't know if you're ever awarded the Medal of Honor in that game, which is kind of ironic if you think about it. You know, that's something that I don't remember myself. Hmm. There you go. I'm sure someone. Hey, if you're out there listening and you know the answer to that, hit us up on our Discord and let us know. Send us an email. Let us know. The links to all that are on our website, memorycardlane.com, right? Memorycardlane.com. Hit us up. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. 
That was a good one, Rob. I'm uh, I, I like that notion. I'm kind of sad now that I didn't do a little bit more research on the Medal of Honor. That would have been a nice angle to take too, since I like I like educating people using video games. It's kind of well, what we do here, isn't it? That we do, and it's no big deal, Dave. I mean, we all know in the family that I was more of the military buff. I took more after Dad in that aspect. That I was the one who was interested for years and. Unfortunately, due to my surgery, it never became a reality. I'm not even going to refute that. I could, I could, yeah, I'm the academic. I'll take the academic side, you know, not that I didn't have to take entire classes on American military history, but you know, that's, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. I have something new for us, Rob, Ooh. something new to try this week. I knew that I know I found a giant list of generic questions geared towards gamers and i thought that it would be fun to pick a random one every week to answer kind of like a getting to know this is look if there was and there is i probably have one in my house if there is some sort of bullshit talk to your significant other communication book but gamer specific this would probably be some of the questions that are in it so some of them are pretty cheesy fair enough you ready for this week's question Proceed with the first question of our Q&As, Dave. Would you rather have loads of time to play games, but only be able to buy two games a year, or be able to buy loads of games, but never have time to play them? Well, personally, it's funny that you should ask this question, because prior to this year, I was always the loads of time to play games and only be able to buy two games a year. Not only be able to, but rather I would only be buying one or two games a year. There were only a couple that I felt I really have to get that. However, now I've definitely shifted more towards the buying loads of games, but never having much time to play them. And I feel that that's better. And as you grow your game library solely because it gives you more options to choose from. And yes, 99% of the time you're going to the same three games. But there are those situations where you have a friend who says, hey, do you want to play this really obscure game from 2018 that is now the most widely popular game around? And you say, let me check my library. Oh, wow. I bought that and never played it. Let's go. Ain't that the truth? That it is. What about yourself, Dave? What would you say? I think I'm the epitome. I think I used to be the epitome of be able to buy loads of games, but never have much time to play them. If you were to ask my wife, I think she would tell you that for the longest time, I like to play games more than I like to or I like to buy games more than I like to play them. I think that nowadays though I'm more the buying a few select games here and there. I'm definitely more choosy with how I spend my money and I keep going back to the same couple games over and over and over. I, I think that I would enjoy more quality time with a few games that a few good games than I would like to just spend no time with a million games personally now. And there you go. Um, Quick Q and A quick q a well that was a little bit about us if someone wanted to learn more about us rob where could they go well to learn more about us dave the best place to go is memorycardlane.com there you can find links to our discords our patreon some notes about our show with links to some of the reviews that we do and maybe some of the additional research and links to our social media dave what's your social medias you can find me on Twitter at David underscore is underscore wrong. 
I mostly post Rocket League stuff. I'd love to engage in some conversations with you guys about the stuff we talk about on here. You can find us on Discord or hit me up on Twitter. Rob, what are you doing on social media these days? Well, Dave, listening to your Twitch, it's kind of funny because I just made a slight change to my Twitch.tv username. Oh, yeah? What's that? I decided to remove the underscores to make it just a little easier for people to find. So you can find me on Twitch.tv at fat B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. All one word. That's fat boy rips. Interesting, interesting. If you want, so as Rob just noted, we have show notes on memorycardlane.com. If you want to make sure that I'm not full of shit and make sure that all these reviews are legit, I promise you they're legit. I reference all my notes. I'm a good little history historian. Always gotta always gotta reference your notes. You can find those show notes like you noted on memorycardlane.com. You can check for yourself all the weird stuff that people are saying about these games. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Rob, before I take it out, anything you want to add today? I just want to say that I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I definitely can speak for myself. And I hope, Dave, when I say that I want to thank everyone for being here. It means a lot to us. And we hope that you continue listening. We hope you continue to enjoy this just as much as we do. Hopefully even a little bit more. And that we hope to keep bringing you the amazing content that we have. True e enough those are some good words you have there well ladies and gents we've reached the end of this little trip down memory card lane coming your way next week next week thank the lord is the end it's finally election day in the united states god i am so excited i don't even care at this point i just want it to be over Ugh. how about you right you, you are to- Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I think we're all over it at this point. Over the election, over 2020, over absolutely everything. So, with the election being the dominant topic here in the United States, we are going to jump on the political bandwagon. Now, I just heard all your collective groans. I did. And I promise you, we are not going to sit here and talk politics. That is not what we're going to do. Yes, we've already made that mistake. (laughs) I'm not letting Dave do that. What we are going to do, however, is we're going to talk about the genre of games that are government simulation games. We're kind of going to focus on those that simulate the presidential election. So it's going to be a little bit different of an episode because I'm going to be focusing on the history of the genre, which, you know, I love talking about history, you know, and then we're going to delve into a conversation about the role that video games have increasingly played in the past few electoral cycles. So a little bit of getting your learn on next week. If you're listening next Tuesday, you go out and vote. If you haven't done it already, I don't really care who you vote for, but everyone deserves a a chance for your voice to be heard. So go and do it. And then after you do that and we're all past that election, join us on Thursday to learn all about government simulation games as we take what I think will be an interesting trip down memory card lane. We'll see y'all next week.